Shout out to Clarity for supporting this episode and providing us with the samples. I've been battling allergies for years now. Let me tell you, they've been a real ordeal in my life. Luckily for those of us who live with the symptoms of allergies, we can live Claritin clear with Claritin D. This double action combination of prescription strength allergy medicine and the best decongestant available release sneezing, a runny nose, itchy and watery eyes, an itchy nose and throat, and sinus congestion and pressure with ease. Fast and powerful relief is just a quick trip away. Find Claritin D at the pharmacy counter. Ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy counter. You don't even need a prescription. Go to ClaritinD.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin clear. Use as directed. What's up, gang? Welcome to The Greatness Machine. I'm your host, Darius Mershazde. I'm so pumped to have you here with me. Now, listen... The Greatness Machine, we're about two things. Number one, people who are living their passions. And number two, those who are creating greatness in the world and doing both of these things despite the odds against them. Each episode, we're going to feature interviews with game changers, business leaders, you know, telling us their origin stories, what made them tick, what got them to where they are now. Why? So it can help you step into your greatness within your life, your business, and your career. Occasionally, you might hear a few solo episodes from myself, moi, as I say, as I leverage my 20 years of entrepreneurship as a CEO and founder to help you grow and level up in your journey to scale your life and your business. So come be a fly on the wall, enjoy the conversation, and I'm stoked to have you here with me. Guys, welcome to The Greatest Machine. I'm your host, Darius Mershazde, and boy, do we have a special guest, my main man, my brother from another mother, Brad Wyburn, is in the house. Boom! Yeah, buddy. Yeah, oh, buddy. man, I've been looking forward to this show for so long. You know, the reality is, is you're an entrepreneur, you're an investor, and you're an adventurer. In 2012, you founded Easy Pay Direct, and it's a super successful business here in Austin where you're a payment processing firm for some of the biggest names uh, in the influencer world and then and beyond. Uh, in addition, you're the host of the Beyond a Million podcast, where you interview world-class experts in sales, marketing, ops, and hiring, as well as technology and wealth building, to discover the strategies and tactics that are effective today. And man, dude, I just view you as an all-around like passionate person, relationship builder. And one of the coolest things I learned about you is, dude, that you're an adventure and adventure and an endurance athlete, and you've done the rim to rim to rim, uh, which is going around, I guess, 44.4 miles in 12 and a half hours on a fractured foot around the Grand Canyon and the 29029 Everest thing, which, uh, which I'm going to save that one for, for the show. I want to talk about that because I just learned that you did that a few months ago. And, and uh, uh, how, did, how can I put this? What's the technical term for it? I blew my fucking mind when I, <laughs> when I heard what that was. So, dude, man, you're like, like you are like, tell us, listen. How did you become the Brad Weimer, the Mohawk wearing, badass, like getting after it person that you are today? Take us back in time. Like, where are you from? How did you like get into all, all these different things? Well, I grew up in Ann Arbor, Michigan, which is a great town, but too small for my liking. And uh, my father is like a rock solid, disciplined, organized Boy Scout. And my mother is uh, a little bit of a wild woman, hippie lady. Uh, who also is was tremendously successful in her own right and is kind of a get shit done person, but very different personalities. And I grew up in trouble all the time. So I got arrested probably 11 times before I was 18, maybe before I was 20. And wait, 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 what'd you get arrested for? Like, do you mind sharing? Nothing super serious, you know, like um, armed robbery, 
murder. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's just a few of the of the, the caveats of growing up. Kidding, kidding. Uh, you know, fucking delinquent stuff. Uh, graffiti, uh, selling weed a lot. Uh, you know, minor <laughs> possession of alcohol. The stuff that, you know, the, the weed thing is so funny because it's not illegal anymore. Yeah. So all of those things are it's just it's hilarious. Um, but, you know, I was just uh, irreverent and I, you know, I didn't like um, and do not like authority uh, for the sake of authority. Right. What bothers me about authority is that people get on these bizarre power trips and want to do things that they can't rationalize. Right. And when you push back and ask why we're doing it, the answer of uh, because that's the way it is or because that's the law or because I'm your mom, those are not adequate answers for me. Um, and I think that that brought me down the path of entrepreneurship ultimately, but it started with sales. Um, so I found, I got a, a letter in the mail when I was 18 that said, hey, come in and you'll get paid. I can't remember what it was, you know, $15 per appointment per hour. This is the trickiness of their language. Mm. And then it ends up being a, a group interview for Vector Marketing, okay. um, which is the marketing arm of Cutco Cutlery. They were recruiting 30,000 kids a year at the time to sell knives. And that is how I know John Broman and John Rulin and Hal Elrod and a whole litany of other people. And we all kind of grew up together in that space. But in the first two weeks, I did what they told me to and I sold stuff. And I came in and they were so enthusiastically uh, approving of me. I was like, I, I just did what you told me to do. Like, I don't understand. Um, but that banging on doors. Yeah. What's, what's that? So just banging on doors and like seeing if housewives want new cutlery. That's, that's about it, man. That's about it. Um, and so, you know, fast forward through that, that was a phenomenal, um, phenomenal uh, training ground for life and personal development and sales and business. But really, it was ownership of my own world, right? I learned scheduling, planning, goal setting. Uh, and sales, and connected with a really, really impressive um, group of people. Um, so at some point, I realized, and I, I was uh, doing well in that space. I, I'm a little bit competitive, and so I had to beat everybody, uh, and that brought me a little bit, just slightly. <laughs> that brought me to uh, being the number one rep in the company, and then, uh, and then the the aforementioned uh, people also at different points. Uh, Rulin, actually, in particular, was the number one rep in the company for a period of time. And uh, so we all got to know each other that way. Uh, but I hit a point where I thought, all right, I'm at the end of this, I'm still trading time for money. And when I got ready to transition to something else, I built a list of criteria of things that was important to me. And this is this was probably the singular best thing that I did from a business perspective was I stepped back and thought about the criteria of the next venture as opposed to just falling into it. And the number of people that I know that do that is very small. Most of the time when you ask somebody how they got into what they got into, some, it was an introduction. It was already the path that they found themselves on, whatever, right? They didn't deliberately seek it out. And I love when I find the deliberate people who do. But I, the biggest problem that I had with that uh, engine of selling to Mrs. Jones was that at the end of it, when I wanted to transition, I had a list of 3,000 Mrs. Jones. And that was more or less worthless to me. 
Um, uh, unless I wanted to be a gigolo or something, which I, you know, yeah, was well, high on my list. I know how you became the number one salesperson of nine. Went in there with the gigolo. <laughs> so, um, so for first of all, I realized it, it, there could be Mister Joneses, not for you necessarily, but 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 I said housewives. I meant house people. Sorry, I'm I'm, I'm getting better with my pronouns. Um, so it, <laughs> so it yeah. was it was it was dominantly housewives. It was ninety nine point nine percent. So so yeah. So you're so that's so interesting. Like, and you were how old when this you started have this epiphany? Like, this is uh, how long ago? This is ten years ago, twelve years ago. No, that was probably when I was twenty four. Oh shit! Okay, so, the, yeah. so this is so this is uh, before Easy Pay Direct because Easy Pay Direct came around about ten years ago. So so you're you know seventeen eighteen years ago. You're like, yeah, dude, I'm tired of tra- trading time for money. Where do you go from there? What was so what what was your criteria? Why don't we go through that? Yeah, the criteria was it was stuff like no cap on income, recession resistant, um, location independent, tech focus. Um, the ability to make a lot of money fast. My current industry does not check that box. Um, and I wanted it to be B2B. I wanted to be selling to entrepreneurs. And that was, that was the one, when I say it was the mo- one of the, the best decisions I made from a business perspective, that was the one. Because I wanted to make sure that when I, at the end of that venture, I had a ridiculous network of people to leverage the rest of my life from there. Um, and that kind of plays into my narrative today of relationships and being relationship forward and looking out for the relationship above everything else because it drives everything else. But I found, uh, I looked at different industries and I found, I got connected to a guy in the credit card processing world, actually through a friend of mine, Pete Vargas, who was another Cutco person. And he connected me. And for years then, I was an independent sales rep through that, uh, that company. It was a company out of Phoenix. And... Uh, I, I spent years doing it and I kept running into these dead ends where that company, I'd have a friend that started an e-commerce company or some tech company and I'd go to set them up with credit card processing. And the, com- the company I was working for, Element Payment Services at the time, I was a 1099 for them, they would decline it. And I didn't understand why they were declining the account. They're like, I don't know, we can't approve this. And they weren't really giving me a good answer. And that sort of opened this door to, okay, well, if you're not going to do it, you know, I've got my friend on the hook that I want to work with that I can make money with. Um, I need to find another option. And so then I would work with another processor and another bank. And I kept going through this process. And over the course of several years, I started to understand the risk associated to payments and how that worked. Um, and that led me into ultimately saying, look, if nobody else is going to do this, I'm going to, and I didn't even have this grand vision of I'm going to create this, you know, life-changing, world-changing um, engine, it was just, I, I just knew how to sell shit, right? I just knew how to sell shit. But it was clear to me that what was being sold wasn't filling the need mm-hmm. that these e-commerce companies and technical entrepreneurs had. And so that was the beginning of Easy Pay Direct, really. Wow. So, man, so first of all, I, I didn't know. So Pete Vargas was uh, in credit card processing. Is that correct? No. You know, what's crazy is Pete was in network marketing. So Pete uh, left Putco and got into a bunch of MLMs. And this, this dude, Ninja, he gets access to Cutco's backend, to Vector Marketing's backend, um, like rep tracking platform, right? Their online order platform. And he goes and he looks at the leaderboard for who the top 10 people are. And he reverse engineers how to get a hold of the top 10. So he started at like 10, the 9, then 8. And eventually he got to number 6 of the moment, which was a friend of mine, Larry Oliver. 
and got my number from Larry and then warm called me and said, oh, Larry told me to call you. Um, <laughs> yeah, and recruited us into a network marketing company in like 02. Um, this is during Cutco. Uh, and then years later, he kind of had the same idea, which was I'm going to introduce Brad to this credit card processing thing and try to get a residual on it, I think was his idea. Hustling, man. Hustling. And, and, and he's done really well with his, oh. his, like, his platform now. But um, anyway. He's amazing that, right now. Amazing. Yeah. I, he he kind of COVID was like I, like he changed the game on like not like digital events from from what I've I've heard from a lot of his yeah it's pretty crazy so wow that's I love I love that story so you just it kind of through time and iteration figured out hey like I I'm gonna solve this problem and and so this is a, sounds like it was a kind of an eight year process like like was it, how long were you working as an independent contractor for. It was a few years. So before I found credit card processing, I did insurance sales, which has a lot of the same fundamentals. It's B2B, it's residual, uh, it's not very tech focused. Both of them are slow builds. There's not a way to make a lot of money really fast with them. Mm -hmm. So I started doing a bunch of real estate investing in the interim, which I had a ton of interest in, still do. And yeah, I think I found credit card processing in, you know, 08, maybe, 07, 08. Um, and, uh, yeah, and then started as an independent contractor. And then in the end of nine or early 10, I, I probably had a, a residual that was about 10 grand a month. And it was, you know, like enough to pay bills and live and be okay. But I really, it was clear to me at that point that I wanted to do things on my own and that there was this problem. And I met, I was introduced to this guy that sold real estate education courses on how to invest in real estate. And I had interest in real estate. And my friend that introduced me said, hey, um, you should go run operations for this guy. And you know, you can make a bunch of money doing it. And so I talked to him and he was a client at the time. Um, I talked and he, real estate education, any education products are quote unquote high risk in the credit card processing space because they have a higher likelihood of somebody disputing the product. Yeah, chargebacks. Yeah, yeah. Chargebacks. And that is because, not because the products are good or bad, but because... The products are A, usually expensive, B, they're subjective in quality. So the information could be great, but if you give it to a seasoned real estate investor, they might already know it and say, well, right. it's not worth the money versus a brand new person who says, oh, this is amazing. I don't know any of it. So it's subjective. Anyhow, I, I, I said, okay, this is a good, good deal. So I worked with that guy. I took equity in the company and I banked um, a salary uh, every year on top of the residual that I made. And we did that for about two years. Um, and I kind of just stocked up a little bit of money. And at the end of that run, that was the beginning of Easy Pitterack. And I said, okay, now it's time to jump in headfirst and go tackle this. Shout out to Clarity for supporting this episode and providing us with the samples. Hey there, friends. It's Darius from Shazda here. And I have a little confession to make. You see, I've been battling allergies for years now. And let me tell you, they've been a real ordeal in my life. Allergies have been my constant companion. They stopped me from fully enjoying the little things in life, from canceling plans with friends because of sudden allergy attack to missing out on an outdoor activity because of the sneezing fits. Allergies have been a real nuisance. Luckily, for those of us who live with symptoms of allergies, we can live Claritin Clear with Claritin D. This double action combination of prescription strength allergy medicine and the best decongestant available relieves sneezing and a runny nose, itchy, watery eyes, an itchy nose and throat, and sinus congestion and pressure with ease. I've been a Claritin D user 
for many, many years now. And let me tell you, it's made a world of difference. Since I started using Claritin D, my symptoms have improved dramatically. Now I can breathe easier, enjoy outdoor activities without worrying about sneezing fits and truly live my life without being held back by allergies. Ready to live as if you don't have allergies, it's time to live Claritin clear. Fast and powerful relief is just a quick trip away. Find Claritin D at the pharmacy counter. Ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy counter now. You don't even need a prescription. Go to ClaritinD.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin Clear uses directed. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. In the world of successful partnerships, names like Procter & Gamble, Ben & Jerry, and Supply & Demand echo through business history. But when it comes to growing your business, who are the perfect partners? That's you and Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. We're talking from launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the, did we hit a million dollar order stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling shipping supplies or promoting productivity programs, Shopify helps you sell everywhere from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Picture this, a time when my business was facing a tough hurdle and I wasn't sure how to break through, but then came the breakthrough moment, a game changer that took my business to the next level. You know, what I absolutely adore about Shopify is its unparalleled ability to adapt and grow with your ambitions. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklyn, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 75 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash Darius, all lowercase. That's D-A-R-I-U-S. Go to shopify.com slash Darius now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash Darius. So you went out, found the banks who would do the type of processing or would accept your client base. And and had you already had those kind of built over over time because you had kind of figured out where to broker those two over the yeah. previous few years? You got it. Yeah. So I built that up over time. So I had good relationships on that front. What I didn't have was technology or a customer support team or, or sales team. And that was the beginning. So in the beginning of 12, I uh, started building software, which was... <laughs> uh, if if you're not a software developer and have not done any project management, um, I, I do not recommend diving into it. Uh, but it was a you know it was a long long journey of beating my face against the wall and figuring it out. What, um, like what, what would you have like if you get in time machine and go back to twelve to give yourself advice around this? Because I think especially nowadays more than ever, entrepreneurs who maybe are not tech entrepreneurs right, but they're biz dev entrepreneurs or they're you know more operators, but they need the, that tech spin right? Like I have an opportunity right now, but it requires a tech piece to it that I'm like, ah, I got to go build that before I can go do what I want to do. How would you have approached that differently? It's tough, man, because I think it's very dependent on personality. I think that the, the simplest answer is fucking raise money and bring on a partner to do it. Who knows what they're doing? That's, oh, okay. <laughs> that's probably the, the, that's the fastest path for sure. Right. Uh, whether or not that is something that fits your life is a different question. I don't know that I could have had a partner, certainly at 30. <laughs> um, I don't even know if I could have a partner now. I do not currently. Yeah, it's hard. Uh, 
yeah, man, it's a different proposition. Um, but you can run faster when there's money in the bank, particularly when you it's not yours. And so uh, to do it over, I may not have bootstrapped. I may have just raised money to run quicker. From a bootstrapping perspective, I would say that, I don't know, man, you know, it's like, it's one of those things where I believe that regrets are a waste of time. Mm. And I believe that my mistakes in life are the reason for who I am now. Um, I love that, man. Yeah, just like that's, uh, and I think that winners think that way, right? I'm no no angel here. Like I, I tend to kind of like take off the gloves and ground and pound myself over shit that of the past and knowing all well, what you just said is that's the best way. It's the healthiest way to approach it. But, but yeah, that's the, the, that is the way, like if you're going to do it, know that, Hey, you're not going to always win. And when you lose, it's a learning lesson that you can improve on. Right. That's, that's what every winner I know. And I know a lot of winners. That's how they, that's how they at least try to approach it. So you ground and pounded your brain into uh, figuring out how to build this, te- this tech platform. Eventually I would assume, yes. you know, tell us yeah. what happened next. Still, I'm still working on it, man. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, uh, I mean, really, it was, uh, it was a slow build. And I think that as I started to get a little bit of success um, and a little bit of money, I, I moved to Austin. I moved everything to Austin in the end of 14. And I just, I, I, I never wanted to live in Michigan my, my entire life. I remember when I was like eight, I asked my father why people lived in Michigan. And he gave me this answer of, you know, oh, well, there's a river here. And so you know, they could float supplies to here. And that's how the automotive industry got here and supply chain. I was like, yeah, but that was 100 years ago. Why do people <laughs> live here right now? And his answer was, well, I mean, ultimately, I wouldn't, he, this is what he says. He says, I wouldn't live here, but my career's here. I started, you know, he, he was a doctor. I started a private practice here and family is here. And I said, so if I could pick where my career was going to be, and where family was going to be, then I could live anywhere. He's like, well, yeah. I'm like, well, I can do that. So I'm fucking out. <laughs> yeah. So, Jimmy, so you were in Ann Arbor till 14. I didn't realize that. I was in and out. So I lived in Colorado for a year. I lived in Florida for three years. Um, but things kept bringing me back to Michigan. It was sort of the home base, the default. Sure. And I had a house there. So I sold the house in the end of 14. Uh, and then that was it. I was out. Cut the ties. My, my folks are still there. But... Uh, moved to Austin. I was very deliberate about picking a place, and uh, Austin has been a good one. It was, uh, yeah. you know, good weather, good people, good tech scene, great food, uh, more attractive women. Not necessarily in that order. Yeah, uh, no, this this dude is tip of the spear in in America right now. As far that's as that's amazing. Yeah, yeah, me too. Me too. Yeah. It's it, it really it really is. Um, so do you miss Zingerman's? Ah, I worked at Zingerman's when I was fourteen. No way, man. I uh, oh, yeah. I. I, I had a sit down with uh, it was Ari. That the, yeah, yeah, yeah. We had a sit down with him uh, in 2018. One of my one of my really he's actually a former guest on the show, uh, Jeff Shocks. He was a he went to he's from uh, he's actually from Troy, Michigan, but went to Michigan, taught at Michigan, and now he's mm. like a VC. And he got us to sit down with Ari, and it, we went and hung out all over Ann Arbor, and we it was really cool, man. Love it. Uh, that's a that's an institution out there. But uh, anyway, sorry. Um, so back to your now. You picked what like this is where I say great minds think alike. But I almost moved here in thirteen, and then pulled the plug on it because my business took off, and I'm like, oh, I can't leave California, and then ended up buying a place here in sixteen. So mm-hmm. so while while Brad was considering Austin, so was Darius. 
And and this is and I'm telling you, man. This there is a. The, do you know who Gina Mullicone Long is? No. Some dude. I need to introduce you to her. She she's like she and I were talking, and she's like, Austin is the city of king and queens, and she's mm. from like Whistler, you know. And she's like, it's the city of. She's like, this is where like all the like she believes in like the, the previous lives and shit. She's like, this is where all the previous kings and queens from previous lives are now coming to whoa yeah she she's kind of a she's 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 a she's a trip but uh, but she's got a bunch of clients here and and i'm like yeah this place is like there's a magnet here you know and 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 like i'm not you know i'm not a i'm not gonna go and fanboy elon musk but hey dude hey the richest guy in the world just decides to move here yeah come on i i'm actually kind of okay with fanboying him (laughs) all right all right there's a you know he's at the status now where there i think it's people gain identity by talking shit about him. Yeah. And I just, you know, he's a fucking icon in the entrepreneurial space. He's done Fair so enough. many amazing things. He continues to, and his approach to it is unique, right? I just watched an interview with him where a little snippet where he uh, said, we made all of our patents public. And the, and the interviewer was like, wait, all of them? He's like, well, yeah, I, I just, I can't. He was like, like you look at Apple and Samsung arguing over a patent. He was like, who? Who wins in that? Like, does Apple or Samsung ever actually win? He's like, no, I mean, the attorneys win. They make a bunch of money doing this. Yeah. But neither company wins. He says, I can't think of an environment where, you know, Ford or GM steals our patent and uses it and we sue them. He's like, I, I can't think of why Tesla would ever do that. And that approach is, um, you know, it's, it's uh, for the greater good. And it's pragmatic. You know, it's not it's not about, hey, I'm altruistic and I'm trying to help the world. It's also very pragmatic. It's like this doesn't help us to do this. Why would we spend time on that? I have a slightly different take on this. Ah, you I want, like it. You want to hear it? Yes, please. My take is he's like, I'm so much more of a fucking badass than those people. <laughs> that, like they can't. I'm competing against myself and those slow fucking turtles. By the time they even figure out what to do with that shit, I'm already going to be on the next thing. I actually firmly believe that's where his head's at. I think that that's actually the same take. When I say it's pragmatic, that's what I mean. <laughs> he's like those. He's like that's a bunch of fucking suits, you yep. know, I, dude. I, and I, I mean, I don't know about you, but I kind of feel that way. Whatever I'm into, I'm like, listen, man, my brain's so. Like, I used to tell my team, and my, you know, I exited my company, but I used to tell my team, I'm like, listen, guys, it's 2020 in this office right now. It's 2020 fucking three up here. Mm. Like, I'm, I have to be there because that's the only way we're gonna get there. You know, and I was only, you know, I'm in a boring ass mortgage servicing business where it's like going into 2020, you fuck yourself if you go too far out, you know? Yeah. But, yeah. but you know, I, I think that that's where, like today. Yeah, exactly, totally. So you've, you've been building this business now. I mean, you guys are, are, are a legit player, man. It's a decade in. Like, you know, where has the business gone to now that, you know, has it gone to where you thought it would go to? Like, give us kind of some feedback on that. Um, you know, kind of back to, what you just said about the mortgage industry. I, I think that many industries, you know, there are different takes on this, but if you don't intend to uh, change the landscape of an industry, uh, if you don't intend to play on the, the multi-billion dollar scale, then looking at 10 years out or five years out, you're going to have to adjust and pivot so many times through that journey that I don't know that that's the right play to do this five or 10 year plan on things. So when I look at the three-year horizon, um, that's predictable. Um, even the five is challenging. And when I look at the payment space, there's a lot of there's a lot of volatility. There's a lot of change. It's both what makes it exciting, what creates opportunity, what keeps me engaged, um, and what uh, 
Um, what is scary about it, right? It's like there are massive shifts that could happen in a year or two uh, that would change everything. Uh, but credit cards aren't going to disappear in the near future. And unless you are playing in the macro again, when you're small relative to the entire pie, you can just fucking work harder and you can innovate and you can change and you can do more and continue to grow at a fast pace. So, you know, we've the last three years, we've been close to 100% year over year, which is yeah amazing and nuts and a little intense for me, uh, quite honestly, and a little overwhelming at times, but is exciting. And so I think, you know, I've had to deal more with kind of a new mindset and mentality around those elements in the last few years than I had in the past. You know, I kind of in the past, it was sales. And it was like, all right, just sell more shit. Let's do this. And as we started to increase in bigger numbers and with new staff and development, then the, the challenges become different. And that's also why the Beyond a Million podcast became something that I really wanted to push because it's specifically targeting you know, eight, nine, and 10 figure entrepreneurs. And it's once you've already established yourself, you know, how do things change once you're at eight figures or once you're at nine figures? How does your sales marketing operations adjust at that point? And what are you doing now to do that? And, and I, I talk about that a lot internally and with friends. And it is a platform for me to consistently learn and grow and also share to our audience those things uh, to like our target market, easy pay direct or entrepreneurs over a million dollars. So yeah, I love it. It's a, it's a focus. It's a, you know, a kind of a lifelong learning thing at this point that I'm trying to lean into more and more. Uh, yeah, but, man. I love that. I, I don't, did we talk about that when I was on your show? I feel like maybe I got too buzzed. Um, <laughs> no, you know, actually when, when we uh, recorded something, uh, it was before I had launched the show. And oh. so I had this studio that I built and I built it not because I had some grand vision of recording anything or because I even had anything to record. I just, I end up in great conversations with people like you specifically, right? There are sort of these few people, this, this category of people in my life that I find where uh, I refer to this as carefree timelessness. You find yourself in a space where all of a sudden nothing else matters and you're just fucking engaged with the person that you're talking to. Yeah. And time disappears as a result. And you're one of those people. So we ended up talking and just going. And I wanted a place where I could capture that for myself. I didn't necessarily want to capture for other people. I was just like, at some point, I'm going to want to, These are great conversations. I'm going to want to see this again when I'm older. Yeah. Um, and so that was the beginning of it. So when we recorded, it was just, fuck, let's hang out and talk and, um, you know, uh, drink some bourbon. Yeah, I was gonna say I'm like, and you can get, it gets a little weird once you mix some really good bourbon in in, in the mix, <laughs> especially with me. Um, uh, so, well, we should well we should do it if that's the center because you know my last business I grew from essentially like from almost zero to nine figures. So I don't know if you knew that or not, but um, yeah, I did. It's fucking amazing. Yeah, yeah, and so I have a lot to say about your that specific topic. I saw that you were doing that. I'm like, I'm like, I don't think we talked about that. I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> so, so yeah, man. Like, uh, I, I've I've a lot to say about that. Um, we so, talked about core values, and I feel like uh, with core values, there's some kind of equation. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I've heard there's a book about it. You should check it yeah. out. <laughs> um, so, so man, here you are in like you know the businesses uh, going on. It's a decade, which is almost like. 50% of all businesses either fail or get bought in, in, in a decade. What's, what's the, what's your BHAG? What's the goal? You know, when, as our friend Cameron Harold says, was you lean into the future, you know, what's, what, what are you trying to build to scare yourself a little bit with uh, easy paid rock? 
You know, there's a there's a question uh, now of uh, one of the mistakes that I made. I've uh, made, uh, made several, <laughs> but one of them is that I didn't build it to sell it initially. And anything that I build in the future, that it will be built with that in mind. Um, so it really has been built because I enjoy it and because it's a cash flow engine um, in a significant way. Uh, margins for us are, you know, 50, 60%. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's amazing. But, you know, there are things that would have to adjust from a, a sales perspective. And for me right now, it's dumping that margin back into the business to uh, develop more software, um, innovate more, automate more, and solve, continue to solve some of the problems in payments to make it safer and faster for people to accept payments online. So like a Stripe or a PayPal are fast, but they don't do any underwriting. So they're really not safe. And I don't mean safe from like a, you know, a hacking perspective or, you know, a fraud perspective, but from a business owner perspective, right? If you don't have any underwriting from your provider that's allowing payments, what happens is one day they can just hold your money or close mm -hmm. your account because risk has popped up for them. And there's a big conversation there. But if you Google, you know, Stripe held my money, you're going to get tens of millions of hits for people that have this issue. So that's at the, at the forefront of solving problems for us. And then the other is integrating crypto into our stuff. And that's, uh, those are the things moving forward that are uh, mission critical. And we overhauled our onboarding platform in the last 18 months. And we're right in the middle of another huge uh, dev push for that. So we've got a full-time development team working on that. And that's, uh, that's the next, like once that happens, We'll have another huge wave of increase, and it won't be 100% year over year. It'll be, you know, a thousand. Wow! And that's the that's the next jump here. And so, when you start thinking of um, crypto and blockchain, I mean, obviously, you know, I come from that world of of finance, of of old old world finance, credit card processing. I would I would argue sitting on top of these mainframe systems. It's it is a relic of that system. Current all the banking system is right now. And if we're and if if blockchain does what everyone hopes it's going to do, that that's going to be gone and it's going to be a new a, a new foundation. When you think of credit card processing and blockchain and crypto, what 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 is what is your yeah what is your best guesstimate of what that looks like? I mean, do you want this to be a six hour podcast? No, give give me hey I'm, 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 I'm give me the elevator pitch because because we have I want to talk a little bit about your adventuring and we got about eight minutes left unfortunately. Yeah. Um, Give me the, the elevator pitch on what is blockchain? What, like, what does the future look like in like, you know, 60 seconds? Yeah. So um, blockchain as a technology is going to replace almost all tech. Everything's going to be built that way because it's um, distributed and there is a, a ledger where you can see the history of everything. It's going to, everything will be rebuilt in some sort of blockchain. From a payment perspective, uh, we're not anywhere near there. If you, that we have two fundamental problems with crypto as a payment source. Uh, in terms of replacing credit cards, it, it will replace cash in some capacities and specifically large transactions like uh, a real estate transaction. Um, that could happen in pretty short order. Uh, and it's already you know, far down the dev path. But from a credit card perspective, there are two things that are a problem. One is the speed of the transaction. And there are a couple, uh, a couple coins that purport to be able to handle that, Solana being one of them. The problem with that is that the very nature of it, the way that they're solving it is by centralizing the transaction. 
mm. which is the antithesis of the benefit of crypto, which is decentralization. Um, so, the, and, and the, the Bitcoin Lightning Network is similar, it's, and it's a bizarre way to do it, um, but both have massive flaws in their idea of accelerating the transaction speed. And just frame of reference, Visa and MasterCard run at like 30,000 transactions a second. A Bitcoin transaction might take two minutes for wow. one transaction. Yeah. Ripple, Ripple, I heard they're trying to make that because it's, clo it's closed, right? It's not, it's a closed network, right? From what I understand. And Solana is the same way. So Solana is purports to be able to do things at 50,000 or 60,000 transactions a second, which is wicked fast, but um, it's centralized. And so it's like, it doesn't have, and by the way, I think that that's probably the direction that these things will go. Yeah, but the other massive problems are, there's no chargeback capacity. Uh, a crypto transaction, when it's done, it's done. And right. one of the reasons consumers like credit cards is because if they have a problem, if they buy something from somebody, it's not what they wanted, they don't have to yeah. fight them to get it back, right? Yeah. And so that has to be solved. And the other is a reward system. And that's an easier problem to solve, yeah. but it's still not there. I think the reward system would be easy because you could just pay them in more crypto, right? But, you know, but, but I think the chargeback is going to have to be like layer two, layer three apps probably is how you, you manage that. But and that's, uh, that's, dude, I'm, I want to, as this, this develops, I want to talk to you more about it because I'm, I'm, I like to geek out on this shit. Lots um, of other thoughts there. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. To your point, if you want a six hour podcast, we'll, we'll go drink bourbon and talk about this offline. Um, yeah. We so record that too. <laughs> <laughs> Hell yeah. So look, we got a few minutes left in the show. I, um, I, I wish I wish I didn't have a hard stop here, but I want to, you know, I'd love to talk a little bit about your adventuring. Anyone that's has a free moment. You're one of my favorite Instagram feeds, by the way. And I, I there's very few people I, I can say that about. I love watching your stories, man. And I'm like, it just makes me like happy to know you. I'm like, oh, I'd like this is the, the, I love that. like like you represent yourself really well on there, and and so at, check out uh, Brad's IG feed if you get if you get the chance as well as your podcast. But to tell us a little bit about the adventuring and uh, the Everesting that you've done, I'd love to kind of close the show out with that, and then we'll we'll get wrapped up here. Cool. Um, yeah. So you know, when in 2007, a, a good friend of mine, I ran into him on a. Uh, at a charity event, actually that John Roman put on uh, for the Front Row Foundation. And he, he was an adventurer and he, his name's Carl Drew and I knew him from Cutco. And I kind of laughed and for some reason, I, I go through these waves where I'm not drinking and I'm sober for a while and then I'm in drinking mode and I was in a sober period. So I'm wandering around this uh, charity event, which is very boring by the way, if you're not drinking, you're just sort of like everybody else is hammered, right? <laughs> uh, so I see Carl and I'm like, hey, what, what crazy shit are you doing next? And he says, uh, well, I'm going to ride a bicycle from Los Angeles to Boston. And I laughed at him. And then I went about uh, on my way. And I started thinking about it. I thought, I know how to ride a bicycle. I can do that, which is the dumbest thought ever, because <laughs> knowing how to ride a bike is not the same as knowing how to cycle across <laughs> the country. <laughs> uh, I had never been on a road bike, by the way. Uh, but I. Uh, Long and short is I actually borrowed a bike from John Rulin and uh, tra started training. And I trained for probably three and a half months and ultimately biked across the country. And we stopped and spoke to middle school kids about decision making and how the choices you make when you're younger impact you when you're older. Uh -huh. uh, and there's a lot to unpack there. But that was the beginning of endurance stuff for me. And I, I had to reflect on why I did any of it at some point. And probably five years ago, I spent a lot of time thinking about that. And I thought, you know, 
there is this element of just seeing what I can do, seeing what I'm made of. But, you know, you do enough of it and that's not really the driver anymore. Like you, you do still kind of want to scare yourself with the next level of, can I do a little more? I'm capable of doing this. But at some point, I, I realized that relationships were still the driver of that. So it's both the people that you do it with, that you're around in the moment, um, and the ability to connect with people later through the story of doing it. Yeah. And those things are so big because it creates this emotional connection or pulls you apart really quickly. And you get to see that. And um, ultimately, that's what it's about. You know, ultimately, it's this, this ability to connect with other people on a deep level fast. Oh, I love that, man. Yeah, you're kind of stripping away the bullshit. Because if you're out there like busting your ass doing something hard, it's like, hey, it's about the camaraderie. It's about pushing each other. It's about supporting each other. Yeah, I, I never thought of it from that standpoint. But it's like some of my deepest relationships were built under massive duress. Yeah, right? like physical duress, right? In Emotional sport. engagement. Yeah, interesting. So what's the uh, what's next, man? We got about a minute left in the show. Like, What's the, what's next for Brad? You just got back from from Mykonos and Europe. What's the big next big thing you're working on? It's a good question, man. You know, it's really head down to the business right now. And uh, kind of, I went on a run with uh, a friend of mine, Edmund Lohman, who was in a hyper successful band in the '90s, and then uh, had a chain of thirty hostels in Thailand, and did some other crazy stuff. Uh, and he does a bunch of endurance stuff. So he did like a 65 mile run a little while ago and we ran this morning. And I was like, yeah, I just, I, I broke my foot running from one side of the Grand Canyon down to the other, and then back to the beginning in September and, uh, probably 13 miles into a 44 mile run. I broke a bone in my left foot and continuing to run was my choice, <laughs> but the, I had a little bit of a recovery path after that. And, uh, since then it's been travel and business. And so there will be, I'm sure, another endurance thing in the future. Uh, but right now, it's really, it's really a focus on um, continuing to build the life that I want to live in um, inside Austin. I love it, man. Brad, my brother, I'm so pissed we're out of time. We're gonna have to, can we do a part two? Of course. It's just, let's, let's just Yannick, buddy. Yeah, I know. I, I know. I, dude, I'm a stickler for not being late. That's like my one of my Me like, too. values, right? Me too. Um, Yannick, we're, we're, I'm coming over to see you in a second. Where can people find you, man? Let's give them a, the, the lowdown. We'll put it in the show notes. And man, you, everyone should connect with Brad. If there's so many different reasons. Well, the, the Insta is probably, like uh, you said, uh, the place to get a little snapshot into my life and also into business. It's uh, Brad Weimert. It's W-E-I-M-E-R-T. Uh, no spaces. And beyondamill.com is the podcast or is the website for the podcast. It's beyond a million. But we have yet to steal that domain from somebody. So beyondthemill.com, <laughs> those are the two places to grab me. Awesome, brother. Brad, it's been so good. I'm leaving for Mexico on Saturday. So when I get back in August, we're going to hang out. You and yeah, me? rock and roll. Absolutely, man. Absolutely. Right. We're going to hang out. And anyone that wants to come hang out with us, hit me up. But uh, me and Brad are going to go hang out because we, we like to do that with each other from time to time. Brother, this has been so good, man. I appreciate you so much. You're, Love you're it, a rock star. Love you, appreciate man. Appreciate you having me on, man. You are listening to The Greatness Machine, and that's a wrap for today. Listen, if you love what you heard, subscribe to the show on whatever podcast platform that you're tuning in on. 
so that you don't miss any of our future episodes. We have tons of great people coming on and we're, we're stoked to have you here to enjoy it with us. Leave us a review. Tell us what you love most about this particular episode. We love getting the reviews. We love to see what you guys love most. And if this particular episode, you know, made you think of someone who's leveling up in their business and in their life, print screen, share it with them. Leaders are the best givers. And after all, we're all here to support and grow with each other. And in case you want to see some of the fun behind the scenes shots or some of the things that we're doing, I'm actually writing about this in my weekly newsletter. Go to www.therealdarius.com and subscribe to my newsletter. We're talking about fun things like business and life and mindfulness and cryptocurrencies and gosh, I don't even know everything and anything, but it's tons of fun stuff I write about. I try to get it out on a weekly basis. You can subscribe at www.therealdarius.com. And with that said, look, thank you guys so much. Appreciate you. I love you. Peace. We're out of here. See you guys on the next one. This episode is brought to you by the Yap Media Podcast Network. I'm Hala Taha, CEO of the award-winning digital media empire, Yap Media, and host of Yap Young and Profiting Podcast, a number one entrepreneurship and self-improvement podcast where you can listen, learn, and profit. On Young and Profiting Podcast, I interview the brightest minds in the world and I turn their wisdom into actionable advice that you can use in your daily life. Each week, we dive into a new topic like the art of side hustles, how to level up your influence and persuasion and goal setting. I interview A-list guests on Young and Profiting. I've got the best guests, like the world's number one negotiation expert, Chris Voss, Shark, Damon John, serial entrepreneurs, Alex and Layla Hermosi, and even movie stars like Matthew McConaughey. There's absolutely no fluff on my podcast, and that's on purpose. Every episode is jam-packed with advice that's gonna push your life forward. I do my research, I get straight to the point, and I take things really seriously, which is why I'm known as the podcast princess and how I became one of the top podcasters in the world in less than five years. Young and Profiting Podcast is for all ages. Don't let the name fool you. It's an advanced show. As long as you wanna learn and level up, you will be forever young. So join podcast royalty and subscribe to Young and Profiting Podcast or Yap, like it's often called by my Yap fam on Apple, Spotify, CastBox or wherever you listen to your podcasts.